Welcome back to Bringing Down the House, a podcast of Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity. I am Allie Parrish, Executive Director of Iowa Heartland Habitat, and today on Episode 5 of Season 2, Building Community, Ja'Kalen and I will be featuring our partnership with the Northeast Iowa Food Bank. We will be spending time visiting with longtime Food Bank Executive Director Barb Prather about their incredible efforts to close the meal gap in our community and about some less known ways the Food Bank and Habitat partner. Thank you for tuning in and please join our local mission by volunteering your time or making a financial or materials donation. More information can be found on our website at webuildhabitat.org or by following Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Bringing Down the House. I am Ja'Kalen Madison, joined with my wonderful, talented, beautiful co-host, the Executive Director of the Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity, Miss Allie Parrish! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just really glad we're back into our normal roles. <laughs> You know, I asked her if she wanted to, to. I mean, it's like you're being a ring announcer. You know, it's like it's like a boxing match. You were just made to do that. Just I was made to be loud. That's, <laughs> the only thing I, that's the only thing I was made for, Allie. I was made to be loud and obnoxious, and that's and that's perfect. Like honestly, I should only be used for the first thirty seconds of this podcast, and then that's it. <laughs> I think it was like frightening what happened to me last week when we switched, and I was like, I I don't even know what I'm doing. Right Should now. I went I just, through like, some type of trauma? I did. I froze. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I think I can do a lot of things, but that is not one, and my friend. For those of you who are like, maybe confused, maybe this is your first podcast that you're listening to, you know, we have a kind of a, a routine mm-hmm. that when we start these things, you know, I always give the big opening, the big intro, <laughs> and, you know, I, I give Allie her props, the whoop whoop. And I was just feeling a little left out because I never get a whoop whoop. So Allie, in our last, in our last episode, was like, you know, it's Kayla. I'm going to give you your whoop whoop. And homegirl struggled <laughs> to give me my whoop whoop. Like I, and not because I don't want to or don't feel it. I don't know what to say. Like, I just, like, if it's not, like, I don't know. I did that. That was just not my strength. It was. It was not my strength. <laughs> and that's okay. And we respect that, Alan. You have many other strengths in this world. As do you. See, and you don't even need me to give you your props because you just, like, you just have it automatically because I just tanked trying to do what you do. I don't even have to tell you. Like, you just do it. It's fine. It's fine, Alan. You know, we, we all, God has put us on this earth for many different reasons. Yours is just not to be a ring announcer. Right. And the other thing that I don't do, just so you know, is I don't pray spontaneously. So, like, that... <laughs> That's a real thing. Like, that's happened a lot. Like, in, in all the years that I've done, like, worship leading and stuff like that, I've been part of the band. Like, it used to be like, and, you know, like, Allie, would you just pray for us, like, right now? And we're like, uh, you know, and I would just, like, freeze. And I'd be like, and thanks, God. And it was just like, I, oh, my gosh. Like, I absolutely cannot do that either. Bless us, God, for this food. <laughs> Allie, we're not eating. That's all I know. Okay? If you're going to ask me to pray for you, this is what you get. And it was just so embarrassing. And I'm like, my husband's a great, like, spontaneous prayer. He's, like, the best. So yeah. I'm like, so now if I'm just, it's just like a written rule. Like, I don't do that. Like, don't ask me to do that because I don't know what to do. Wonderful. So at the next board <laughs> meeting we have, when we ask for prayer, I'm going to nominate Allie Parrish. Oh. Got it. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be like, and no. <laughs> like, not happening. Nice try. You know that I don't spontaneously pray. <laughs> oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Well, I think we're going to have a lot of 
uh, spontaneity in this podcast. But one piece of uh, spontaneity we're not going to have is our mission moment. So let's uh, jump right into that, shall we? by the initial results of the Neighborhood Microgrant Project. Through this grant program, neighbors came together to plan and fund their own projects, focused on maternal and infant health, gardening, public art, youth, and much more. I'm confident each project will make meaningful contributions to the quality of life for all in our community. Several of the projects funded are actually led by youth. To me, the results of this project demonstrates Habitat's commitment to bolstering resident leadership and our mission to building homes, communities, and hope. No, I love that. Micro grant project. Yeah, so that was Anna Patch, our neighborhood engagement specialist. See, Allie picking up the slack. <laughs> picking up the slack over here. I, I'm doing your job right now. I mean, like, listen, I mo- most people understand where you're coming from right <laughs> yeah. now. They're like, of course. Of course she's picking up the slack. Uh, no, but uh, uh, Anna, you know, one of the great things, too, about um, about our work with Habitat, and, and, I, and I know um, our guests will probably speak you know, speak to that a little bit too. I, I know with the National Food Bank effort, but by being part of a national, you know, organization or global, really, you get to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel a lot. There's a lot of great, you know, things happening out there, a lot of great affiliates doing wonderful work. And this was one that um, we were inspired by out of uh, Muncie, Indiana, and some groups that were, um, some habitat work that was being done there. And they had launched in one of their target neighborhoods a micro-grant program where you would award, um, they award up to 10 $500 um, micro grants uh, to residents in the neighborhoods that they serve and we were really inspired by that so we decided to try it here and launch it this year as a pilot um, in our two target neighborhoods and so um, basically residents in the neighborhood are eligible to apply there's a committee of residents that reviews and there's youth involved and uh, other folks that live in the neighborhood that review the applications from their from their uh, peers and neighbors and then um, folks have the chance to basically get a micro grant and, and the grant has to be used to do something to benefit their neighborhood essentially. So um, we just have seen like a really great variety of, of ideas and you know, we're piloting it. I'm sure there'll be some huge successes and maybe not so on some other ones, but so far so good and it's been it's been really great, so. Yeah, but what a way to give neighbors or community members uh, ownership in their neighborhood. Yeah. You know, that, that's wonderful. And, you know, when you think of, like, Habitat, you, we always think of, oh, okay, well, we provide houses to people that need it, or, you know, we provide that opportunity. But to also say, you know, we're providing people that already have a home to say, okay, how can we improve your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. How can we make it so that this is something that uh, people are going to want to come and enjoy whatever you've invested in? Or how can we make this look uh, pretty? Or whatever. Like, ah! <laughs> destroying things over there. Uh, yeah. But, no, that is, that is such an awesome program and I, and I love that and, and these, this is the pilot here, so. yeah this is the pilot summer so we've uh, we had several applicants and um, I know it's been a lot of fun for Anna to be able to work with the families helping them come up with ideas seeing the ideas they come up with one of the one of my favorites uh, there's so many good ones but one of my favorites is there's a photographer that lives in Church Row neighborhood um, that you know just takes pictures and loves that and is willing to um, take family photos for families that live in Church Row um, that maybe wouldn't be able to to afford to do that otherwise. So I thought, what a cool, 
what a cool idea and a, and a way to use your talent to help your neighbors. So there's just all kinds of fun ideas like that. Yeah, we are very blessed for the talented people uh, in our community that can do things like that. Mm -hmm. We're also very blessed for the talented people in roles as executive directors, such as Allie Parrish. Uh, and our guest today, she uh, has been using her talents for over 20 years, mm -hmm. over 20 years as the executive director of the Northeast Iowa Food Bank. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great honor to introduce uh, our guest today, Miss Barb Prather, to the podcast. How are we doing, Barb? Great. <laughs> We're so excited to have you. I feel great. Um, it's an honor to be here. I feel like I'm among royalty in the oh room, my, oh my just gosh. listening to you guys go back and forth. She just this means, is awesome. She just means Nora, honestly. You know, that's, that, that's really who she's talking about, royalty. Well, the funniest thing about that statement, honestly, is that um, Karen Rowe and I have a have a little uh, saying that Karen Karen came up with, but that basically Barb is the godfather of all executive yeah, directors. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, well, I'm no. not trying to date anyone <laughs> by saying that. But like Barb Prather has been like one of the few staples in my life since I was a child. Yeah. Well, I remember Kalen from when he was in high school and yes. he was so See? talented and oh. helped lead the student food drive at West yes. High. And I'm, I'm paying her to say all, all that. No, I'm not. And you know, coming to Rotary events yeah, and all no. of that. It's mm -hmm. It's super. Jacqueline yeah. keeps coming back and popping up, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I, well, you know, Talk about somebody who cares about our community. Well, yeah. That is yes. very kind yes. of you. Yes. That yes. is very kind of you. No, but, but, but truly, like when I started as executive director at Habitat, like I knew Barb from before in a previous role, mm -hmm. and I'm like, um, I know nothing of what I'm doing. Who am I going to call? <laughs> Barb. 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 You ain't getting yeah. rid of me so fast. No, no, I, <laughs> I, think, I think the beauty of the community is that we learn from each other yes um, and I had, had a great mentor when I lived in Washington DC and I've just tried to keep a lot of her values in front of me and one of the things that I remember about when I was when I was in college is it, it was in the 80s so I'm dating myself guys <laughs> um, and girls that there was you know there was no internships mm -hmm. You got a degree and you moved on. You weren't given real life experience. Yeah. And one of the things in the back of my mind is I always wanted to do and be able to do is give that experience to others and grow. And so that's why volunteering is really important to me and why the, you know. Yeah. So as I've watched you, Jacqueline, skip that experience. I just, if we can provide that opportunity. Um, and then I'm just so passionate about what we do and what yeah. the community does that. Yeah, you know, it all comes together, but we need each other to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's funny because I my internship in college. So when I was there, you know, you got to do you had to do one internship, or you should. It wasn't even like you had mm -hmm. to anymore, but you should. It was not paid. Right. And mine, you did usually did just one. It was probably a semester, but mine, I was so lucky to work under Beth Knipp at the at Covenant back then oh, in the that's public awesome. relations department. So I'm like, you think yeah. about like yeah. Folks like Beth, folks right. like you that have certainly mentored me along mm -hmm. um, with all of your experience and everything, yeah. but like how lucky, right? Yeah. In our community, yeah. that there, there yeah. is that. There's, there's a lot of people who are willing to mentor people. Exactly. You just have to jump in and ask questions. It's important. Yeah, it exactly. is important. And that is important to mentor and it's important to volunteer. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of my first ever uh, 
opportunities to volunteer was through West High uh, and what we did for the uh, our student food drive mm -hmm. for the food bank. And it was in that I learned so much about what the Northeast Iowa Food Bank really is mm -hmm. and how it truthfully helped our community. I don't mm -hmm. know if you could speak to that just for a little bit before we really jump into things. The food bank really started as a food pantry, which serves people. And what we really are is a food bank that touches a lot of different programs um, throughout the community. And if the difference between a food bank and a food pantry is a food bank serves organizations and programs and a food pantry serves people. And for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to grasp because a lot of food pantries call themselves food banks and the word is used synonymous, but it's just coming in, seeing, getting involved to really see what we're about. That was really interesting, even in a private conversation that you and I had not too long ago, understanding that difference. And I know we were talking about the fact that you know, I work for, you know, like I said, a global organization where you have mm -hmm. Habitat International. That's one piece of our work or our structure, I should say. And we were kind of talking about Feeding America mm -hmm. and really how that that is structured. But there's a lot of folks who probably don't understand what that structure is all about. So maybe you could share a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. In the country, there's, well, there's lots of food banks, but there's 200 organizations like the Northeast Iowa Food Bank that are a part of Feeding America. We're all designated an area to serve. And Feeding America really started because there was a lot of tractor trailer loads of product being wasted. Mm. Um, and I go back to the, you know, early times of food banks when it was started in Phoenix, Arizona by a man named John Van Hingle who worked at a soup kitchen. Well, he saw a lady who came to the soup kitchen rummaging through a dumpster. And he asked her, he said, well, what do you, you know, is this how you get your food? So he started thinking about food waste mm. and all the food that was being wasted. And the early concepts of a food bank happened because all these companies were just throwing away tractor trailer loads of product because it didn't meet quality control or a box was damaged or whatever. So if you create a warehousing system where you bring that food in and you bank it, many organizations can have access to it. So we're kind of the hub and spoke. And Feeding America really has a lot of the national relationships with Walmart, Target, places like that, you know, ConAgra, Nestle, General Mills, all those national places. But also they have a really solid relationship with the federal government, which is a food resource for us, as well as a lot of national funders that want to fund food banks, but they may only want to work with one nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so then it's kind of funneled down. We pay dues to them. We're a contract organization, uh, meaning we agree to certain requirements. The beauty of it, though, is the food banks get to help have a seat at the table to determine what that contract looks like. Um, which is great. Which is great. And, you know, I've been spending the last year working on one piece of that with some Feeding America food banks from around the country. So it's we're a really grassroots organization, but we it's all based on partnerships. Mm -hmm. But what I will also say is that all food banks are different. While we have, you know, these similarities as far as this contract is concerned, how we operate is really different because you're really about what your community. For example, in the state of Iowa until you know, just the last 10 years, we were one of the only ones that had a food pantry, you know, so That's it's things like that. But we started as a food pantry. Right. And, um, a food and then pantry on site. It's on site. At correct. At our yeah. place. Um, we started as a food pantry. Mm -hmm. 
but a lot of food banks just started as a food bank, and then we became a part of the food bank. Well, and I was just going to say, quickly explain, you know, what's that difference between a food pantry and a food bank? Again, yeah. Again, yeah, yeah. 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 So a food pantry is an organization that serves people. So the Cedar Valley Food Pantry, which is one of our programs, is a food pantry for Black Hawk County. So if you are in need of food, you can come during our hours and access food. We'll ask you a few questions. It's very painless. And then you'll be able to get food. You ten, tend to come once a month, but every Friday we do a produce and perishable pantry that's a drive up that you can come every week to get that. Because over the years, as we've matured, the food industry has matured, and so there's not as much waste in the system. Because we started traditionally getting product that was non-perishable. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of case-slotted items. Well, now 68 to 70% of what we distribute is either frozen or perishable. Mm. So we've got to be able to move it faster, so then we have to move and adapt our programs faster. Sure. Which, and I'm glad you said that, too, because I think there, in some situations there's been this like negative connotation that, oh, well, everything at the food bank is outdated or expired or, you know, there's nothing fresh or there's nothing good. So the fact that you have, you know, frozen goods right. as well, that you do have to get out at a certain time, uh, I think may change the perspective that some people could have. Yeah, and to answer your first question, the food pantry then serves people, and the food bank then serves organizations and programs. So other nonprofit organizations like Salvation Army, like St. Vincent de Paul, you know, other food pantries, the Independence Food Pantry or the Decorah Food Pantry, they're all member agencies of ours. But to your point about expired food or close-to-date food, the only food that you have to throw away at date is baby food. Hmm. That's the only food. So just because there's a date on there, mm-hmm. it could be a Best Buy date. It could be a manufacturer date. It could be a code that none of us can read. It's not bad at that date. Mm-hmm. And we have guidelines when we have volunteers come in, so it's still good. And there's nothing wrong with it. Right. And I would think that's a pretty robust system that's been worked out over a long time. You know, obviously that if there was a real problem there, you'd hear about it all the time, I would imagine. But that was one thing that fascinated me when we were chatting the other day is like, I never really thought about that difference that Mm -hmm. the food bank and food pantry are not the same and that a community may only have a food bank and not a pantry. Right. Or at least not in the same location. So perhaps there's a food bank, but it's sending you know food over to food pantries at churches right. or other locations Patients. or something like that right. that's that's really right. interesting to me and then you know over the years we've developed a lot of other programs to work with various communities because we know that there's need in certain population but also in certain certain communities too mm-hmm. so yeah. we're ever evolving and we change part of you know as i look back over the almost 30 years that i've been a part of this system you go from predominantly having non-perishable to perishable and your systems have to change. You have to adapt. And over the years, if people are donating, you know, if a company makes a mistake and they donate it, they don't want to make a mistake because that's costing them money. Mm. And so they've improved their processes, but yet we still have a need in our community that we need to meet. Food banks really started because there was all this food waste in the community. They had to have a system to get it to where people who needed it could have it. It is interesting. You, you talk about the, the need of the community. And 
if I'm correct, there's this thing, uh, closing the meal gap. That correct. We, that has been talked about, and there's this goal that we have of around like 2025 or so right. of closing this mm -hmm. meal gap. Uh, so you have all of these programs in place, uh, and they're wonderful programs. How will those programs and possibly future programs help achieve that goal in the next four or five years? That's a great question. So. We get our statistics through the USDA and then Feeding America working through a with a professor of research at the University of Illinois. Mm. Every year there's a food insecurity study that's done across the country. And once that data is collected, the USDA releases it. So it's about a year old by the time we get it. So like for 2020, um, it will be released, I think, sometime in the next month or two. And then from that, the research that Feeding America does is they really take that number and really show how many meals are missing in a community and match that against the meals that the government provides through the food stamp program, known as SNAP, through school lunch, school breakfast, any government-funded program. And so there still is then a gap left. So when we started this strategic plan in 2017, I believe our meal gap was something like eight points. There was like 48,000 food insecure people and I think the meal gap was about 8.3 million pounds or million meals. And so we still had to fill, find a way to fill this gap. So it's a goal, it's something to shoot for. And I think the first year of it, we had provided then about 6.9 million pounds. And so every year that goal changes based on what the statistics do in the community. Every year then we're measuring ourselves. Well, the interesting thing is it, the number of food insecure people over the years has gone steadily down, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of food that we've provided has gone up. And then last year hits. Oh, yeah. So the pandemic hits. You know, we had more people than we've ever seen before. So the projection, the projection for the meal gap shot up to something like almost 9 million meals. Wow. And it's like, okay, yeah. you know, buckle up. How are we going to do this? What I will say is we were resilient and we came very close to filling the meal gap. That's amazing. Which is great. The interesting thing and the numbers, we're going to be releasing the numbers here in the next um, few years, but based on fiscal year 19 or calendar year 19 numbers, the number of food insecure people has gone way down. When you look at it, I think a lot of the reason around um, the research that, that was done last year and the previous year is that because the food banks were able to respond, mm. um, you know, whether it was private donations, whether, you know, the government funding through CARES Act funding, whatever that is, we were able to respond to that. Mm. The data that we're releasing is going to be based on fiscal year 19 numbers of food insecurity, and then next year we'll do the numbers based on fiscal year 20, and it's all about timing. I suspect that they'll go up some mm -hmm. because it's really hard to know. What I will tell you, in the last four or five months, we've seen a steady decrease in our community of people needing our services. Which, whether that's our mobile food pantries, which help rural communities, whether it's food pantries in our rural communities, whether it's our own food pantry here locally. Um, and I really credit the supports that were put in place through CARES Act and the ARP program and, you know, additional dollars for um, SNAP, additional, you know, the school lunch program going to grab and go and, you know, everybody eats free. 
I really credit those programs to be able to do that. And it allows us to continue to put a solid base under what we do. Yeah. So when the times to react, we'll be prepared and proactive and ready to react that we won't have to completely change our operation like we did a year ago Absolutely. to react to that. But it's just been it's a to be it's about, year. it yeah. has been a crazy year. Yeah. Um, you know, the, this community has been fabulous, whether it's been volunteering, whether it's providing donations, you know, the food industry has been fabulous, you know, the resources that we were able to get through the federal government, the state of Iowa came together and really spent a lot of time working on this issue as well and gave us um, CARES Act money and also our member agencies CARES Act money. So it really is, you know, I think for the first time in the time that I've been working through the food bank, it was the first time that people really recognize that food insecurity is an issue in our community. Absolutely. Because all of a sudden your business closes and you can't work, mm -hmm. you know. And how quickly any one of us could be in that category, right. you know, right. I think that's the part that a lot of times you know, and that's human nature. I think mm -hmm. when you're when you're doing okay, and, mm -hmm. and you kind of take that for granted almost, right. Right. and how quickly you know any one of us could fall into that right. to that situation. People, I think it opened our eyes. It did. People yeah. who never thought they would be in that situation mm -hmm. needed mm -hmm. help. Absolutely. Um, well, and it's a credit, you know, to to the organization and, and food banks across the country too that. You know, it's one thing to get all this extra money, but you mm -hmm. have to be able to also manage those funds um, in your operations as right. well. And, you know, obviously we've heard nothing but positive things about the way that, that your team and, and your folks stepped up and, um, you know, that just kudos for all of that. Yeah, I have a great team. I have a great board. They all stepped up. They did their part. You know, are they tired? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we tried, you know, to give them extra time off and... We were able to give them some bonuses during the rough spots. And I was really grateful that we had the resources to do things like that, because yeah. I, kn I, I know it helped them. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody else not too long mm -hmm. ago about some of that disparity and mm -hmm. what's happened um, during the pandemic in, in jobs in the sense of, you know, a lot of remote workers and, mm -hmm. and not to say that remote workers are working hard. There's some that are working really, really hard, mm -hmm. but we've seen some interesting things happen, even with some big corporations where, you know, remote workers aren't that busy right now. Right. Um, it's interesting where, you know, this, there's some that are, they're spinning in their chairs. Mm -hmm. There's some like you guys that are, you know, really, and, and the healthcare workers and right. things like that, but, right. you know, that are really giving so much and and mm -hmm. it can feel as, and yes it's for a good cause but exhausting yeah you know? it can exhausting. be exhausting and yeah. um just thank you you know well and i remember one time early on i think it was in a late april or early may of the pandemic because of the touchless all of that we needed to make it was something like three thousand food boxes to go out in like the next 10 days and so we pulled our team together on a Friday afternoon and spent four hours packing boxes mm -hmm. just to get ahead. We had volunteers still coming in, mm -hmm. but just to get ahead mm -hmm. so we could, would be able Monday morning to be able to send those boxes out. Yeah. And they were all in. It yeah. was great. It was a great time. And that was at a time when things were changing minute by minute. Yes. You know, you would make it. I mean, there were times that I would get a call about something at nine o'clock in the morning and two hours later, it completely changed. And everybody's looking at me like, what? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, we're doing the best we can here. Mm -hmm. People like to be predictable. People like, you know, to know what's going to happen. 
and you can't always, you know. We're trying to be proactive in a reactive environment, Absolutely. and it's really sometimes very difficult. But they did the staff. I can't thank them enough for all the work they did then. You know, you guys have done an outstanding job, and um, I'll, I'll say this very proudly. You know, I benefited from the food bank as a child, mm -hmm. um, and that was it was a huge help to me and my family um, because it just we had no other way. Mm -hmm. um, and when you think of, you know, food insecurity, especially how it affects children, I'd love to hear um, you speak to that. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's a lot. It is a lot. It, so, you know, you bring up an interesting point. Um, I remember right early on, um, I can't remember if it was Linda Klinger or Mary Burke mm -hmm. that I was having the conversation, both of them being yeah. funders in the community. And one of the things one of them said to me, they said, well, how, tell us how you serve kids. Well, we serve kids through the pantry and through the programs that, but we didn't have good data to show that. Mm -hmm. And so we started, you know, researching, okay, what programs are out there? And so along came our Kids Cafe program in the fall of 2000, partnering with the Boys and Girls Club to provide the evening meal there. And then five, six years later, the backpack program came along where we would provide food bags for the weekend, starting at five Waterloo schools, um, serving 100 kids. That's now serving, you know, between two and 3,000 kids with weekly throughout, you know, different schools. And I think it's 159 schools in Northeast Iowa that we're a part of now. But it was their inspiration that, okay, we've got to be better about showing who we are and what we do mm -hmm. and getting better data of how many kids are we serving through our pantries and how many kids are we serving but really then being intentional about forming partnerships in the community to ensure that kids who are at, you know, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club or Salvation Army or the YMCA, YWCA, wherever they're at, that when they go home, before they go home, they can have a nutritious meal. And then making sure that kids on weekends have food in their house that they themselves can prepare because mom and dad might be working or whatever's going on, then they can show up and, and on Monday morning and not the teacher doesn't look at them and know that they haven't eaten over the weekend. Right. So those were kind of the intentionality behind those programs, is to go to help those specific populations. Which is outstanding, and um, for anyone out there that may have studied psychology or whatever, there's, the, uh, there's this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and at the, it's essentially, it's like this pyramid, it's almost replicated after the food pyramid, but, uh, it's essentially like these are the things that someone needs to kind of achieve this, you know, like euphoric state. And on the bottom, the structure, what they need is food, warmth, and 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 then there's like safety and shelter. But food is so important. Mm -hmm. And if you know, a kid can't even get food, they don't care about right. anything else. Right. I mean, if a kid is starving, they're not going to focus on right. that math test that's in front of them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Know. Well, and even eating nutritiously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, we didn't have a lot of nutritious food and that's what I really like about going in this direction of fresh produce local foods mm -hmm. partnering with Hanson's Dairy partnering with farmers to grow things working with the Feeding America Network to bring other product in working with the grocery stores to get the product there um, that is nutritious because guess what if you have ten dollars to spend on food mm -hmm. you need to feed your family how are you going to do that what's the cheap food in the store right. oh, pasta junk and junk food. yeah yeah 
And so if we can help their budgets by giving, you know, giving them nutritious food, that's what we're going to do. Maybe we could uh, shift just a little bit. You know, when we started this um, neighborhood work in more earnest, I started to hear more and more and learn more about about the concept of food deserts. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a term that I think gets passed around a little bit. And I know when Deesa Cornish was on a little while back, you know, we spoke to this just a little bit. But, you know, what, what exactly is a food desert and how does that impact our community? So food deserts are basically, I, and I can't remember off the top of my head what the mileage, what the square miles sure, is or sure. whatever. But basically it means that there's not a grocery store mm-hmm. for you to access that readily. Right. So if you look in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area, there are certain zip codes that are definitely food deserts because there isn't a grocery store. Mm. Sure. You know, you've added, there's convenience stores that have like bananas, potatoes, milk, juice, but it can be a little more expensive. But it essentially doesn't have a grocery store that's in decent walking distance. Um, or not accessible. If you get into the outlying communities, um, there's you know some towns that don't even have a grocery store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have a car then, how are you gonna get to the store? Right. It's really, how do we make sure that we have accessible food? If you look at our mobile food pantry program, we started that in 2010, um, working with communities that either didn't have a food pantry or if they did, it wasn't open evenings or weekends and so we would come in with a truckload of food get community volunteers to hand out that food and if you look at some of the communities that we're in there may not be a grocery store in those communities either so you know if you have to drive and you can't if you have to walk you know a mile or two and you can't or don't have somebody to do it that's what a food desert is. Well, and it's, you know, again, one of those things I think a lot of us are guilty of taking for granted, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we can hop in the car, get across town if we need right. to, or hop on our bike or our mm-hmm. feet and walk, you know, that right. it's just down the street or what have you, or in our town at least, mm-hmm. you know, and right. um, when we, we've done rural ter- tours in even our ser- service area just to really try to understand and familiarize ourselves even more and more with the communities that we serve and it is shocking the distance the feel of the distance between some of the small towns and in our rural Mm -hmm. uh, counties you know and rural populations where if you didn't have a grocery store in your town it's not an insignificant issue and and a lot of people transportation and stable transportation is is a huge barrier you know for for families uh, to be successful so just you think that oh well everybody in the United States has access to a grocery store you know and 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 I think this really when I really stop and think it flipped it on its head mm-hmm. to, really, to really see that right. that's, that's really just not the case I agree um, which is a basic need right right it's, exactly yeah. exactly or you live in a rural community you live on a farm and yeah your car breaks down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know Exactly. Well, and I think that people might think, oh, well, Habitat builds houses and the food bank does food. You know, why Why would we partner? You know, right, and, exactly. um, and so it's been really fun to, A, I mean, when you think about the neighborhood work that we're doing, we're thinking about what, what does a neighborhood need to improve the quality of life mm-hmm. for the residents? Mm-hmm. And obviously access to basic needs like food mm-hmm. and shelter tie hand in hand. But for folks, you know, if they have the most beautiful houses to live in in the whole wide world, and they don't have a place to go get food or ability to to get to that food 
you know, obviously the quality of life is going right. nope. to be less. Right. Right. And so that was one immediate tie. And then mm-hmm. I thought, well, when we're advocating in neighborhoods for, you know, that might be food deserts for a grocery store right. to come in or, or good nutrition to be available for fo- for folks, like it's it's uh, so important to be knowledgeable about all these mm-hmm. things and, and know the partnerships that exist right. And, right. and all of that um, right. potential. Um, but we also have a really fun way um, that we partnered, yeah. you know, for years um, mm-hmm. through our home dedications. So um, maybe you could speak a little bit to when that began. Yeah, I can't tell you the year exactly. Yeah, it's been, been a long you know, time. it kind of all blends together. Mm-hmm. But just in conversation, we came up with the idea that, you know what? Wouldn't it be great if we could stock your pantry when you moved into your new home? Yeah. And so we'd had um, home buyers volunteer and do some of their hours at the food bank. And I always loved it when they come in. I don't always get to speak to them all the time. But I'm like, what if we do that? And so a number of years ago, um, we started putting food together, staple items, that right before the dedication, we would come and stock the refrigerator, the pantries, whatever, with a little bit of food just to kick them off. Um, and it's always so nice that we're able to do that because it's just another tie-in and shows how food and shelter are so important to people. And it's these little things, I think, that the food bank and Habitat and other organizations that we do together that pe- we don't talk about enough, I for know. one thing, yeah. um, and people don't realize it, but I just think it's a great thing that we can just add these touches um, to it so people know. It's just our way of saying, hey, welcome to your house. You know, honestly, on dedication day, you know, it's it's so fun to go and, and open the fridge, open the cupboards, mm-hmm. and they're full and what a mm-hmm. what a what a welcome. Yeah. Like and, and it means so, so much. much. It really mm-hmm. does to the families. Like yeah. it, it really, really does. And you think, well that's simple, right? right. I mean right. like right. But, but it it's does simple take... but it's a f- like it's it's yeah. profound. I remember right. I remember just as a, a board member the first time I attended the dedication and going through and I opened up the fridge and I was like, Where did all this food come from? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh yeah, well the food I was like, This is amazing. It is. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. It feels abundant. It does. Yeah. It, feels, it does. It yes. feels it does. good. It, it just, does. you know, it feels, it feels strong and stable mm-hmm. and abundant. We need to do this for each other, right? Beyond just the food, right? Bank, you know, right. And, and habitat, but like, mm-hmm. welcome your neighbors, right? Exactly. Bring them a food basket. You know, they used right. to have welcome wagons and mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Like, we need to bring it back to Kayla. We do. Yeah, we do. Hey, the we old learned, cup of sugar. We yeah, learned exactly. it first, <laughs> We learned in our first ever trivia the housewarming uh, was yes. when you would bring over what was it logs or yeah. some yeah. kind of something. Yeah, it was literally yeah. warming the house. So <laughs> hey, bring over some logs and some. Cup of sugar. We'll have a party. Well, it's interesting you say that because <laughs> a few weeks ago, my neighbors came over and they wanted a cup of sugar. Well, I happen to have an extra three-pound bag. I said, just take this. Yeah. You know, just take the three-pound bag. You know, I'm fine. Yes. I'm going to get to this. Just take the three-pound bag. Yes. Just take the whole so thing. Just take the I don't care. <laughs> you know? But that, it, it, it yeah. feels really good. Yeah, and it does. It, it does. It is the small things that can make a big difference. Right. And I know... Um, you know, it's very much appreciated. Yep. Yep. It is appreciated. And Barb, if I can be personal for a second, I want to thank you and your entire team of people because I mean, from my family to countless other families, it was a uh, it was a, a bright light in Good. a very dark moment Good. for a lot and, of us. Yeah, and that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here. Um, unfortunately, I think sometimes there's stigma about people who use our services. Mm-hmm. 
and one of my hopes, you know, before I retire, whenever that is, is that we'll be past that stigma because I think that's one thing the last year has really shown is there shouldn't be a stigma. You need food. Mm-hmm. You no, know, everyone needs food. You know, pay your rent, come and get food. Absolutely, and and, and the choices, and we right. talked about that a lot right. um, in the first season, just but the choices that families are forced to right. make are so unfair mm-hmm. in the sense of, I'm paying medicine for my kid, I'm paying for my transportation, I'm paying for my house, or I'm paying mm-hmm. for food. It can't be all of them. Right. You know, like, how do you pick yeah. between those things? Right. You know, and... And that's yeah. that's where I think too we're so aligned, right. you know, right. in so many ways. And like when when you're thinking about choices, well, hey, you know, you guys are like we're going to work on this one. We're going and we're like we're going to work, work on, on this, this one. one. Right. If we're all working on them together, mm-hmm. and the families care too, and they work hard for yeah. for what they have, it, it makes everything better. Yeah. yeah. And I know I could share a lot of stories, but every Thanksgiving we do big holiday distribution that we serve between three and four thousand families and it's really it's a three-day event it's great it's well it's a three-day event to distribute it it's a month-long event to get it ready and do it (laughs) but it's one thing I really like and um, so we started collecting stories from the families that we were serving and a couple a few years ago one family told us that like two weeks before Thanksgiving their car broke down well they needed their car so they go to work And so it was a choice of, do I fix my car or do I provide my family with Thanksgiving? Mm. And then in the mail, the invitation to our distribution came. Wow. Oh my gosh, I just got goosebumps. I know. So it's those stories, you know, Mm -hmm. it's those stories that we hear on a regular basis. It's Mm -hmm. real life and it's decisions that people are making. And that's why we're here. Right. We want to make sure that if you need food in Northeast Iowa, you have access to right. it. Right. And, and the other thing to, to remind people, too, is, is, you know, the families that find themselves in those situations, it's not because they're mismanaging funds. Right. They're working hard. Right. It's expensive it to is. live. It and is. It's expensive to have secure housing. It's expensive mm-hmm. to pay all the bills necessary to support a family. It's expensive to be able to do all of that, right. you know. So it's in a difficult. car repair... Oh, yeah. Easily, you know, instantly, 500 to $1,000 just gone on the simplest thing that right. you don't even realize, realize. you have. Right, you know, like, exactly. And and, um, and families really do need need mm. that support. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and again, we're forever grateful for you, Barb, and everything that you guys do for the community and the partnership that you've had with mm-hmm. Habitat. Uh, this is, it, it, it's not easy to put into a, a one-episode podcast all of the stuff that mm-hmm. you guys do and the programs you have and how you serve the community. But my gosh, we at least thank you yes. for well, everything. Thank you. I, it's you know what? It's team effort. One of my one of my big things is partnership and relationship. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything we do alone. Mm-hmm. Not anything. Whether it's gathering the food, whether it's putting it in a bag whatever that is we we can coordinate it but we can't do it alone and we need everybody to do it and play their part we do um and we are very open to that so awesome. thank well, you so much ladies and gentlemen barb brayler of the northeast iowa food bank thank you thank so you. very much and uh you're gonna stick around for a little trivia aren't you oh of course <laughs> All right. 
basically a trivia quote unquote embarrassment. Uh, yeah. Maybe embarrassment for you. Like, oh no. I don't know what you're talking about. I I think I I do wonderfully in these things, but that's just me. We'll let Nora be the judge. All right. So I have no idea if Barb will know the answer to this one. She's so knowledgeable and she's been in the field for yeah, so long. We'll so see. She very well could. But today, um, I want to know if you can tell me in 1980 about how many food banks there were. We already heard that we have about 200 just in Feeding America. So um, let me know what 1980 had. Ooh, 1980. So 1980 for Feeding America? Or just food food banks in general? Food banks in general. Are you including food pantries? I have to ask. She says just no. food banks. We're gonna go with just food oh, banks. And then we'll be totally wrong, probably. I have no idea. I honestly don't know. Um well because there's different levels of food banks too in there. So who was an office that year? <laughs> well I know. Was it yeah, Reagan? It was, I actually thought Reagan, I don't know. Eighty no, it was the end yeah, I think it was Reagan. Mm-hmm. Was that the election year? Was it for was it le- maybe. I think it was the election year, so mm-hmm. yeah. I was two. I'm not gonna say how old I was. I was 15, so. Hey. Now everybody knows how old I am. At least we were both alive. We were alive, yes. Hey! Hey! That was an election year. That was an election year. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Okay. So, knowing the layers of the different whatever, um, my guess, 600 and some. Ooh, 600 and some. Okay. I was gonna say like 50. Oh, I was gonna go super low. Okay. I'm only gonna say 20. Okay, we got a 20, a 50, and a 600. Gosh, how does Shaquille do it? (gasps) Around two dozen. No that's, why you asked, that's why you asked the questions, no, ladies. That's I why think, you asked the questions. Okay, clearly it wasn't including food pantries. It was not <laughs> including. I would say no, it's not. So, <laughs> But I mean, and which I'm glad, you know, that helps. Okay. And it was, you know, I think it's, that might have actually just been Feeding America. It's okay, but because you know what? Okay. I one time thought that the biggest um, restore in the country had 100,000 square feet, and I think it was like 10,000. It was more than 10, but it wasn't even close to 100,000. So. Uh, yeah. so, yes. Again, she thought the restore was the Taj Mahal. I'm never going to live that down. I'm never living that down. I'm That's never going to live down. You just got this right. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't really know what to tell you, Allie. Yeah. We can't all be this good. I know. Well, it's a yeah. real hard thing. It's a real hard thing to be that good. I could say what it could have, should have, why I gave my answer but it's okay it's I okay mean, she really well here's the thing though you and i just took a stab in the dark barb at least actually had like an educated guess <laughs> like barb has statistics facts research oh, yeah. and history like, to justify yes. her answer you and i no. just made up something yeah, like, I was like, oh, yeah. this sounds about right yeah. <laughs> my clarifying questions didn't help no, <laughs> no. seek to understand yes yeah i'm always a person if some Somebody says something to me, I'm gonna ask questions. Yes. Not everybody always likes that, but I gotta understand it. Exactly. I know. That's you why. That's you, how I. That's how I roll. That's exactly. Right. That's how I roll. Oh, that is, ladies know, that is Barb Prather. That's how she rolls. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think it's time for us to roll on up out of here, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us again on this episode of Bringing Down the House. I'm Jacqueline Madison. She is Allie Parrish, and we will see you right back here next time at the same place you found us. Take care.